Hi, and thank you for tuning in. You know, I don't know anybody doesn't have a hard time understanding what leadership is about. It has changed in the 21st century. And because it has changed, you know, there's not a lot of information out there that pulls it all together so that you have the steps you need to be the best leader that you can. Leadership is all about influence. And this podcast is about helping you understand how to influence others and to build the collaborative team that provides you the inclusive, high-performing workplace that you are looking for. Whether this is the first job you've had as a leader, whether you're an individual contributor, or you've been in leadership for 30 years, there is something for you on this particular podcast. It's called Remarkable Leadership Lessons, shared by Denise Cooper and her friends. And if you like, you can always go over to my website and pick up other gems that will help you become a remarkable leader. Today, um, I've got my friend with me. My reoccurring friend is Pamela Brooks Richards. And we are going to be talking about something that's a bit of a heavy topic today. But I think it's important because both in her practice and my practice and in the practice of several other of my coach friends, we're starting to notice that the old way we thought about leadership development is really not sufficient enough to deal with the issues that are happening in the workplace today, and that the HR function hasn't quite got their head wrapped around in many cases, how the workplace is changing and what needs to go forth now. And so today we're going to talk about trauma, little t trauma for the most part, not the clinical trauma per se, but it does affect how a leader acts in the workplace assigns work in the workplace and the expectations of what work is going to get done. And that pressure of having to be responsible for work in the workplace and the lives of the people who are under on that team is what is what we're going to talk about today. And that's where we're seeing more and more of this trauma up. So hope you stay tuned. Um, at the end, we're going to give three things that you can do, whether you are a leader or a person who may be experiencing a level of trauma that you're concerned with. So with that, um, Pam Brooks, just to get her back into the into your mind, she is known for her passion for people and facilitating positive change for anyone in need with an open mind. She enjoys being an executive coach and helping people discover their strengths to make life transformations. She is the um, developer of the program that is at ASU for the leadership there. She is currently at the uh, Arizona State University teaching other leaders how to be great leaders. She includes her uh, cadre of programs include uh, Benet Brown's Dare to Lead and uh, Judith Glazer's um, Conversational Intelligence. So good morning, Pam. How are you today? Good morning. I am, I guess, happy to be back from a long road trip, but This is such an important topic because I'll tell you, it's evident. And I think that's the part for me is just that ability to go out and help raise awareness around it Mm -hmm. so that people feel like there's things they can do to help overcome some of the challenges that are creeping up with regards to trauma. 
So just so we everyone is really clear, let's talk a little bit about what kind of trauma we're talking about, because trauma really comes from a clinical, psychological, clinical point of view. And so there are many levels of trauma. A lot of people, they don't like the word trauma. No, trauma is like conflict. Like, ooh, don't mm-hmm. go there. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't call it trauma. That makes it big. Yeah. But think about it in from even a medical term. Trauma is like if I took a hammer and I hit my arm and I got bruised. Mm-hmm. I caused trauma to my arm, right? Mm-hmm. So it's something that leaves an impact on us. Mm-hmm. And it's not always, you know, something major. Like I know I've been working with a leader who's in charge of a big event that happens in August. And it involves like all incoming freshmen and it really taxes her team of advisors. And it's, so it's a, it's a, it's a big deal. And now you're coming back and it's your time to recover. And there's a death in the family. That is a natural occurring trauma. Nothing, you know, evil happened, but it's, it's an impact. And then how does that impact everybody else having someone who is like the stronghold gone like at a time when they're supposed to recouping and bringing stuff back so that's one I think another form that I really ran into this last week kind of deals with like new students coming into college but I think this is true of um, some of the students entering the workplace there's a difference in how they've been equipped to handle what some people might call regular stress yeah daily activities or learning how to network um, how to communicate up or communicate down. Like there's not as much information and, and base for some people coming in. And so what for, you know, again, one event, two different people experiencing it for one, it's trauma, very dramatic. Mm-hmm. And for the other one, it's like, yeah, okay, I'll just take it and I'll run with it and I'll add the, the other things to it. And so there's this difference happening as well. So as a leader, we can look at it and go, well, that person should be able to, like, this is like, everybody, what do you mean you can't handle it, right? And so here it now becomes even more dramatic because somebody's like, oh, I should have been able to handle this. And now we go into that imposter syndrome scenario mm-hmm. or we isolate ourselves out of shame because somehow I should have known this and I don't. And so it's creating this, I don't want to say extra burden on leadership to try to perceive as someone's having a sign of that or, or or isolating themselves or are we anticipating more than what we thought and how do we create a better onboarding process to understand where a person is in relation to their ability to jump in and start just coping with mainstream I mean, there's that yeah it, it, it you know it's it's interesting because i think people might have some people might have the impression that trauma is from an event but in act, the trauma in that particular case, really was more like the straw that broke the camel's back, you know, kind of idea. Many people know that I do team coaching and we had, for my own, I had a woman who she's been dealing with her own stuff, turned to the, and during a meeting started screaming at um, a black man who happened to be um, a peer of hers and then turned into feeling like she was the victim in it and filed a harassment suit against him because he snapped back. Now, now I've got two traumatized people because he does not want to talk to her. He doesn't want to be in the same room with her. He doesn't want to, you know, he now is hyper vigilant around her. And she is, there's something going on in her life 
that's causing her to flip to flip to screaming and yelling and being forceful and disrespectful um, because this was done in a group. And so it's it it's squeezing out in all sorts of ways in yeah. the workplace. And how do you handle it now? You know, they did the investigation. It came out that there was no harassment intended. It was just, you know, two people on two different pages. And in fact, they found out that this woman had been doing the same behavior to other people in the organization. And as you said before, it's not just the person who is the target, but we found out that there were several employees who are now um, unable to feel safe because I would say trauma in the workplace or the trauma that we're talking about is when it's no longer psychologically safe to speak up and to be the person you need to be to get work done. So anything that's interfering, some incident that happened that interferes with psychological safety, either in the workplace or in the home, that can be brought back into the workplace. I think that's the small T trauma that we're talking about. Absolutely. And I know I've been diving into a lot of different trauma research for that. I don't want to be an expert at it. I don't want to do it, but I just, I have to be informed. Yeah. I think one of the big things that comes up with that trauma is to understand that you can have two different people experience the exact same thing. And for one, it's trauma. And for the other one, because they're in a grounded state, or maybe they've had more experience, they look at it and go, oh, yeah, okay, I can deal with that. And here's what I'm doing. And, and they they cope and they move through it. It doesn't mm-hmm. resonate within them. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot coming down to the stories we tell ourselves and the stories that relate around the trauma. So like that incident where the person blew up, if a good leader had stepped in possibly earlier instead of letting it get out of hand and say, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> let's let's just take a break. Let's all go somewhere because our emotions aren't in check. To, to, to kind of diffuse it mm-hmm. and then be able to address each person individually without letting it just completely blow up to that point where everybody had it. Like maybe that situation could have been diffused. Granted, she's got things that she's working on outside, but it might've reduced the trauma on the other person. Yeah. So here's again, how do we build those skill sets and leaders around understanding emotion? Because they've got to understand their own. I think that's the other part is, Am I the type to run away from it because I don't want to be in the middle of it? Um, do I have the skill set to stop to stop something? And it's not that I have to be the one to fix it, but can I realize that there's a point and do I have some tools in my pocket that I can come out and go, wait a minute, we're, we're emotionally not in check. Let's just take a, a breather here. Let's go. And then get her to the proper support because it sounds like that was what she needed. And mm-hmm. to at least get the guy to, you know, be able to calm down as well, because again, we, uh, stress, fatigue, anxiety, mm-hmm. contagions in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if a leader or people in different positions aren't aware of that, I mean, think about it. Someone comes in the office really excited. Oh my gosh, there's a thing going on. And I'm, I'm really upset. If the leader at that moment doesn't take a deep breath themselves and go, okay, hey, Take a deep breath yourself right now. But responds to them with that energy level back, we're going to have an escalation. Yeah. Instantly, right? But that leader who just says, oh, God, okay. Instant. I see that. I'm coming. Like, I hear it. I feel it. Like, I'm going to take the deep breath. 
Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask the other person to take a deep breath. We're going to give us that six seconds to come back online. Now we can move forward. But without that, the little T traumas are adding up and they're creating blowups. They're causing people also from that standpoint that maybe the blow up happened and now I'm isolating and I'm not going to tell anybody what I'm thinking. And I'm telling me, myself, my stories in my head, which now that person's not contributing, which then causes other problems on the team because they're not turning their stuff in. And right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As Brene says in her work, it is not fear that causes problem. It's our response to that fear. Mm-hmm. So I would say it's not trauma or the event that causes problem. It's our response to it that causes the problem. Yeah, and, and just so we're we're clear, so people can follow, trauma comes in different names. Mm-hmm. So there's compassion fatigue. Absolutely. You know, that's a big one that we're talking about if you happen to be in the healthcare industry. And compassion fatigue is um, when a person has had a, a, a frontline worker, a nurse, CNA, doctor, has had so much um, opportunity, and I'll call it opportunity, to have to give compassion to other individuals that they just are worn out emotionally. And that's a form of trauma. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the 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 as as we're talking about, you know, the separation of, you know, kids going back, going to school, your child is now going to college. And that separation is causing for many people, men and women, the epidemic of or contributing to the epidemic of loneliness. The, the um, There's been a survey, a couple surveys that's come out this year that says loneliness alone is around 60% of people in the U.S. on a pr- that they report it on a pretty regular basis. So the isolation, the lack of communication, because now we're all digitally wired and it's so quick. Um, you know, people, it's funny for me because people say all the time, you know, that young group, they, all they do is in their phones, in their phones. And yet I'm dealing with people who are senior leaders and they speak through text messaging far more than they do pick up the phone and say, Hey, what's going on? And it's, uh, it's sometimes it just baffles my mind when I have to stop the text messaging and go, can we pick up the phone and have a conversation? Because tone or or the written word is only 7% of how we understand and communicate with each other. The rest of it is tone and body language. So seeing the written word does not convey meaning, and it certainly doesn't contribute to understanding. And it's funny that we have all of this and the frustration of these emails and text messages and primarily text messages going back and forth that they keep escalating, escalating, escalating. And I'm like, uh, how about we just pick up the phone? And in two minutes, we solve the problem versus 20 minutes of text messaging back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So these are just some of the ways that the wearing on our emotional senses manifests itself both in the workplace um, and at home. And in the hybrid, that's the other thing I was really running into this last week is this hybrid format. So people aren't mm-hmm. always in the office. I can't just run down and say something. We're not following up just saying, hey, it's got the Zoom. So we at least see face-to-face. The research is showing that that, or even on the phone, like face-to-face mm-hmm. on the phone is better than calling. And it's better than any texting. 
right? Just to just to make that physical contact and to at least see stuff at, at a better level. You know, take the some people when we're in that anxiety state, we become workaholics because I'd rather not deal with whatever it is that's scaring me. I'll just dive in. And so yeah. who at the end of the day gets down to the email is like, okay, cool, my email's done. I'm gonna I'm gonna get home and go spend time with my family. And then there's one more email that comes in and says, Hey, you gotta get this done. And they get into that panic mode because we've now raised, that's one thing with trauma is it raises that anxiety level. Our body mm-hmm. starts to have the adrenaline and all that stuff flowing, just like right. that respond too much on the front line. Like it's, and they take that as the normal state. So we're just running into the state. So they feel like panic. I got to respond. So now they respond to that. They send out a couple more emails and pretty soon they're staying 20 minutes late. Now they're late going home and they've got mm-hmm. that anxiety. And now they're stuck in the heat of traffic. Like, all compounding right mm-hmm. and and it adds to it so we've lost that ability at that point to go yeah i can i i don't need to get this done tonight i could either you know if i'm there i could go walk see my boss and say hey you just sent that note they may have sent the note going oh i'm gonna get this off tonight that way i don't have to worry about it in the morning right mm-hmm. they're just clearing their plate but instead of saying hey do you need it like right away or can i get the team together tomorrow we don't, we don't even shoot the email back. We just start Jump in. responding and pretty soon we're on the hamster wheel, just chugging away mm-hmm. and we're not taking that moment to take a break to recover. And for me, cause I've been working in hybrid, you know, I've been working hybrid for a long time. And then to be on campus for a week, face-to-face going places in between meetings. Yeah. I realized how much I don't take breaks when I'm home. Because I used to feel guilty. Oh, like I'm working. Like I shouldn't take this break here. But then I was like, damn, when I'm on and in face-to-face and I got to go meeting to meeting, I got to leave that 15 to 20 minute gap between just to walk to get where I'm going. But we won't take that. And that's Mm -hmm. a mental break. That is Mm -hmm. a mental break to get out, walk, see something, do something else. Let your head go. Maybe prep a little for what you're going to do in the meeting. But we don't, we're not doing that now. We're in this like... So that's one of the things I think, you know, again, one tool is starting to understand emotion Two, know how to like at least hold for six seconds, let your body check back in, but to also take checks on ourselves throughout the day and to get our people that we're working with to take checks for themselves throughout the day to bring our states back down in between. I think it's not just getting them to do it because if if you haven't caught, if you haven't connected this dot, all of you who are listening to me know that my pension is to create great leaders who create gr- remarkable workplaces. And so this idea of what does it take to have a culture of high performance, we have to understand the things that are impinging on that. And our behavior is what defines the culture. And, and so you think about it, if, if I'm stressed out, if I'm, the more I'm mentally stressed out, the more isolating I become because I keep wanting to push through it. And so what it takes is that, that push for leaders and, and the HR and people who are on the team to begin to create boundaries and behaviors and enforce behaviors that cause people not to be isolated, to come out and to to want to help. And so when it's compassion fatigue going on in your workplace, then what are you doing to help people lower that compassion? 
What are you doing to to help people understand that, that when if when they're approaching, when they've had too many too many opportunities to have to give and give and give and give, that it's not healthy for them, that they're not doing what they need to do to be a solid employee. And when you know we talk about coaching and managers giving feedback, when are you including in your feedback? permission for or identification of people who you start seeing, they're just doing too many things. They're on that hamster wheel that you just talked about. Maybe they're giving too much. Maybe they're taking on too many projects. You know, how do you have enough relationship with them to be able to say, you know what, I know you're a great worker, but I'm actually going to give you this work here. Or because we're short staffed, I need the three of you to think through how we can rearrange the workload such that we're we're lifting the the burden off of all three of you. That's a culture that that moves to innovation. That's a culture that moves to um, high performance. Because you know, I always say a leader has four things they have to do. They have to do, and they have to do them well. You have to set the goals and vision. You got to manage resources. And this idea of trauma or compassion fatigue or workaholism, those behaviors are really about managing cost, time, and emotional um, tenor of your people. And then you got to follow up and ensure follow through. The other thing to help employees understand, and there's a great presentation done by Michael Bungie Stainer on the advice monsters. Mm-hmm. Because we, when we're in a in a position where we are giving support to other people, that's that that you're that helper, and so it's also for us to understand that, you know, whether you're the the helper or you're the achiever or you're a perfectionist or you're a control, like we have kind of a, a those are all kind of things that we can be in. Then we feel that we have this need that we're going to fix everything. Like we just feel like that's our responsibility. So it's it's also identifying what is our tendency or God, I got to save everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. And, or I got to control everything. Like these mm-hmm. are three big things that people have. And so mm-hmm. as a leader watching that hamster wheel, which one is it? Are they fixing everything? Are they saving everything? Are they controlling everything? And it's just that moment to go, you know what? You can't save it all. You, you can't fix it all. And, and you're not going to be able to control everything. And then that's that conversation you said, like, okay, let's bring the people together and say, look, this isn't feasible. We're doing more with less right now. How can we do this to the best of our ability that we have? And what does that capacity look like so that we're not stretching ourselves to the point that we have nothing to give? Yeah. And one other thing that um, another idea for people is if you're in the if you're the project leader, if you're the executive leader, et cetera, is actually sitting down on a regular basis once a month and going over what what does your team think are the priorities? Are they clear on what the priority is if they have to make day to day decisions on what is a work and what is C work? What can slide? And then how do they get back to you in a way that if they have to let something slide, you're not caught off guard? Just having that conversation once a month as a check-in with your team or individuals, whether they're in in front of you or they're um, on Zoom, you know, the hybrid or some component thereof, constantly checking in these days on 
What do you consider the priority so that you know your people are actually working on the things that can't fall between the cracks and they're not getting consumed by the things that show up and look like priorities, but really aren't? And I think that sense of urgency comes across with in lots of different positions, right? Yeah. This or the reaction that you're dealing with a customer, you're dealing with a patient. Um, I know this is true for teachers and dealing with particular students like yeah sense of urgency because someone's standing there. But at the same token, we have to we have to know that we can't just drop everything to pay attention to all these and not everything coming in has to be dealt with in that in that absolute moment. And that's that's the piece that I think as we're thinking about what can change, it is I think we have to have leaders who are able to work with HR to manage the culture in a better way. You know, offline, we were talking about we need to redesign and rethink of what that um, new higher orientation looks like, because you don't really know what's coming into the workplace. But you can tell people how to work, how to ask for help, how to find support, you know, those kinds of things you can begin to practice. Because remember, as I always say, you know, I listen to what you say, but I really watch what you do and I determine What's acceptable by what you do, not what you say. And so you could start with, you know, the first three months where the leader is really sitting down setting, hey, let me know what your priorities are, where you're at. I need to know how I can support you. By asking that, it gives permission. It demonstrates permission for that person to raise their hand and it sets the culture it reinforces the culture that you want from both psychological safety, from a place where no one person can do everything and that it is a team sport because running a business is a team sport. If you don't believe me, have somebody quit and you'll see how fast your team falls apart. Right. Even having them gone for a few weeks. It's all right. You know, and I think the other thing you're adding, because you were talking kind of on that onboarding, there's the part that's the HR perspective of making sure that people are equipped. But I think the other part, too, really comes from, again, the leaders setting the culture so that they actually don't just hear it, but they're feeling it. And having that leader assign a particular task, you know, something that you know, kind of what's going on, and then to be able to have that check in observation of how are they coping with it. Because then if you know what that person's doing out of the gate and you watch them struggle when you think they should succeed or they're really taking it on and, well, you could give them a little bit more, it just has that then informed first thing that's going to happen. You know, Mm -hmm. I I talked to some people this last week about it, you know, new leaders kind of looking in and like one of the activities is onboarding, right? And and Mm -hmm. they're like, well, do you know why you have an onboarding activity? They all looked at me like, no. And I said, well, Explain to me, what was your onboarding like? Did you show up? Was your computer in place? Did you get needed and greeted? Did you get introduced to a couple of people? And they're like, no. And I said, <laughs> exactly. It's a chance to talk about how do we create a better first couple days, first week of experience so that when you come in, you get the information you need. You feel like you're able to cope with the little things coming along the way. And you start to build the relationships that you need to feel successful. Yeah, I love that. I really love that one because the most frequent answer I get back when I ask some similar question, not necessarily that question, but that similar question is they'll say, well, nobody did it for me. And my answer is, is so you had a crappy experience Mm 
So you want to pass, you want to make sure that that person has a crappy experience. <laughs> Tell me how that's helping the culture work better and be high performance. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, and that's part of what I talk about is, you know, when we start thinking about leadership, our first experience of jumping into a leadership position is that moment panic. Like you're an athlete. Mm-hmm. Now you got to coach somebody. Well, you're going to coach them the way you were coached. Mm-hmm. You're going to lead the way that you were led initially. And then you go, well, that person's not like me and they're not responding. And then you realize, oh, I've got to do different things for different people. But then yeah. there's that next step where you go, I'm stepping into a position and I'm going to be the leader. And the focus is on how do I make this culture, this situation? How do I make it better? Like we're not just jumping in and I'm leading in status quo, but what am I doing to have an impact and, and help things get better and, and how do I find what those things are that I'm going to focus on as I step into it. And that's, that's like a level up of it. Instead of just jumping in and making sure I can get things done. It's that next step up of how do I move into development? How do I develop it? How do I? And here's something, you know, as we wrap up here, if we have to say, what are the things, because we've talked about a lot of things. If I have to give you some tips on what to do is one is think about your onboarding and, and, what does that mean? How do you teach someone? How do you demonstrate to someone? What's your behavior that gives a freedom and leads the person and tells them through your action what's okay and what's not okay? Once a month, checking in and saying, tell me what your priorities are. What, what are you working on? How are you managing all these other things? How can I help you and support you in figuring that piece out? Three, it's what you said, the emotional, um, become a little bit more aware of the emotional tenor of the people that you have. What would you, what would be a good tip for that, Pam? Part of it, I think like a very fundamental, like when you think it is to watch heart rate, if your heart rate's going up or volume's going up, emotions going up. And then the best thing they say is to take a five to six minute break or to breathe deep and bring yourself down. And if you're counting that breath, like I'm not focused on anything outside. I'm not getting caught up in the emotion outside. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling myself out of that for that six seconds to get my frontal cortex online to go, okay, there's something going on. Mm-hmm. And then to get curious and ask a question about it. Mm-hmm. I was just looking in a, a, one of my things that I've got on trauma and they call it the ABCD of trauma um, healing. So kind of, and I think it's pertinent, whether it's big or little, it was kind of good. It says, ask for help. And this is true as a leader. If you've got a situation and you don't know, who can you go to and say, hey, I faced this. What else am I doing? Like ask for help. Like it, it, mm-hmm. it's critical and get your people to make sure. So that's the A. B is building better boundaries. And I think this is something too, again, from our work that we've done with Brene is that yeah. ability to go, I'm out of my comfort zone. What do I need to put in place? Or how do I need to inform somebody to work with me or get other people to inform themselves? Mm-hmm. This is the best way to handle me when I'm in stress. Um, commit, and it says to healing, but I would say commit to recovery. Because as we're in our day-to-day, like up and down, big meeting, bad meeting, oh, emotional meeting, maybe it was because two mm-hmm. people, you know, trying to fight for the same thing that we commit to that space to go, I'm going to bring myself back online. I'm going to mm-hmm. take a walk around the building. I'm going to give myself a gap in between. So there's that part so that we're keeping, and that helps to keep us emotionally in check. They've done brain scans of people. And if you take a two minute break between your meetings and just let your brain go, like listen to music, take a walk, do nothing, not thinking about the next meeting, not thinking about the last meeting, just letting it 
ground, you're better off. And then D is decide what, and I would say whether it's the anxiety or the emotion or the something, when you sense that it's happening, emotion is to inform us, like stubbing my toe, dang, it hurts. Or I've been walking a lot and I got a blister in my shoe. What is it informing me of? I need to mm-hmm. do something for a moment to figure out what that is and fix it, put a bandaid mm-hmm. on it or, you know, whatever. Change your shoes. <laughs> <laughs> the most yeah. obvious, change your shoes. But it's, it's then looking at the situation and going, okay, two people just hit heads. Do we look at it and go, it's that person's fault or it's the other person's fault or do we back up? and go, oh, wait a minute. Maybe our whole team has really been pushing too hard. Yeah. Or we've been taking on too much. What's that larger something that we're going to say, wow, this, this event means more than just this event. And let's back down from that and go, mm-hmm. what led up to it? What might be increasing the fact that something happened? And then we can break down. We'll have a more informed understanding of how to cope with whatever that situation is. So again, ABCDs, ask build boundaries, commit to your recovery and decide whatever the incident that kind of led to the trauma or the emotional uppers. What, 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 why is it there? What can we do? Mm -hmm. All right. And that brings us to the end. Thank you so much for sticking with us. Thank you, Pam, for sharing your wisdom with us. Absolutely. So much enjoy sitting and and talking about these discussions. I learned sometimes even from how you bring it back into what you do. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I think that's, and you know, that's the asking part, you know, we just happen to make it like a little light conversation between us and that um, all the guests who are listening today, you get to sit, have a cup of coffee and learn something without, you know, about an area that you probably wouldn't spend time doing it. And that's the value of listening to this. If you like this, please hit the like button, share it, because if you, um, whether you liked it or not, share it, because I guarantee when sharing it, you're going to have a conversation that is going to raise your awareness and help you be a remarkable leader. So until next week, see ya. Well, as I said before, this is a wrap. Hey, thank you so much for following me. And if you really, really want to make things better and help me get the word out, please go like this wherever you're listening to your podcast. Follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. All of that's in the show notes. And for doing that, go to my website and click on the uh, network and you'll be able to get some free gifts that will help you figure out how to be the best leader that you can be. As I always say, if you like it, share it. If you don't like it, share it, because I guarantee it will definitely help you become the most remarkable leader you can be.